0: Believe me, two minutes in, you're going to be asleep anyway, so it don't matter. All right, so um, we've been doing this little impromptu series called "Can You Back It Up," or if you just want to shorten it, you can call it "Backing It Up." And and the the premise behind it is is to provoke you to contemplate various commandments that are in the scriptures. And to just basically challenge you to see how well are you doing in backing up uh, our sometimes shallow commitments to the things that God commands us. In the first week, we talked about loving the Lord. Second week, trusting the Lord. Last week, fearing the Lord. And today we're going to be talking about praising the Lord. And who knows how far this will go. I mean, I still have a long list of things that we could do that are commanded of us, but I just don't know how deeply God wants us to go with all of it. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And so for background information, think about this. Uh, How many times, if you were to look for the exact phrase in the NIV, so this is a very specific question, How many times do you think in the NIV version of the Bible the phrase love the Lord is found? Those three words in sequence, how many times? Just Somebody give me a random guess. No, it's a lot less than that. But to find the word love and Lord in the same verse, you'll find a whole bunch of them. But just that phrase, you'll find it 17 times. So that is a commandment of God that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That little phrase, love the Lord, you'll find it 17 times in the NIV. Think about this. The phrase, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. This is another commandment of God. How many times do you think that is found in the NIV Bible? 20 is close. 25. So trusting the Lord is there more times than loving the Lord. But they do go hand in hand, don't they? The third phrase I want you to think about from last week is fear the Lord. How many times would you think fear the Lord is in the NIV Bible? 42. So 17, love the Lord. 25, trust the Lord. 42 times, fear the Lord. Now, here's the big one. How many times do you think it says, praise the Lord? That same phrase, three words in sequence, praise the Lord, how many times? Seventy times. Now, if you look for every verse that has those three words in it, praise the Lord, you will find 185 verses that contain those three words. So we, it is safe to say that the commandment to praise the Lord is in there a whole lot more than fearing the Lord, trusting the Lord, and praying or, uh, and loving the Lord. Uh, if I could do my math real quick. Okay, never mind. That doesn't work. Uh, anyway, I was going to say that praises the Lord is in there more times than the other three combined, but it's pretty close. So my question is this, what is the big deal about praising the Lord? Now remember, these words were not, these verses were not about worship the Lord or seek the Lord or sing praises to the Lord, nothing like that. These are just a very specific uh, Google search, basically. So what is the big deal about praising the Lord? Um, One of my favorite chapters, I think is 148, Psalm 148, that I believe it's 17 times in that, that chapter says, praise the Lord. 17 times. What is the big deal about praising the Lord, and why in the world would God command us to do it? What's the big deal about that? Well, here's some verses I found just to kind of go along with that. In 1 Chronicles 16.4, and I have a lot of verses here, and I'm not going to go into all of them. Remember, I said there was 185. In 1 Chronicles 16.4, it says that he appointed... Some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. So there were actually ministers that were appointed to the temple for one task, and that is praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. That's your only responsibility, priest. Praise the Lord. Well, when should I do that? All the time. Uh, How much am I going to get paid? Nothing. Because back then, we'll give you free housing, but that's all you get. You can eat the fat off of the lamb, you know, on sacrifice day, but that's it. In 1 Chronicles 23.5, it says, now this is mind-blowing to me anyway. You'll probably think, oh, that's no big deal. In 1 Chronicles 23.5, it says that 4,000 are to be gatekeepers and 4,000 are to praise the Lord with musical instruments that I have provided for that purpose. 4,000 people praising the Lord in the, in the temple. That's a whole lot of people. In other words, God, I think, takes this stuff pretty seriously, and the people of Israel took it pretty seriously. In First Chronicles 23.30, it said they were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. Every morning and to also do it in the evening. Twice a day, everyone is to stand in the presence of the Lord and praise him. In 1st Chronicles 29:20 20, it said that David who was the king said to the whole assembly praise the Lord your God this was a commandment from David because God had passed the commandment onto him and says they so they all praised the Lord the God of their fathers they bowed down prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king and even in Second Chronicles 29.30, which is a whole book of the Bible later, under the reign of King Hezekiah, it said that he ordered his officials, the Levites, to praise the Lord with the words that David had prescribed and Asaph the seer. And so they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and they worshipped. This is a big deal throughout at least all of the Old Testament. And another one which I think is very important. When Ezra and Nehemiah worked so hard to lead the rebuilding of the temple walls and the temple of Jerusalem, they had a huge rededication service to follow. And they had, they had choral groups all over the walls of the city. And they were all had these huge musicians, these bands were everywhere. And, and Nehemiah 9.5 says, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. So can you say, can you agree with me that this is a big deal? Praising the Lord must be a big deal if God commanded it so many times. And so there's nuances of it that we need to wrestle with for a little bit. I think to myself, okay, what other reasons could it be? I mean, I know that's a big thing, but... Could it be that the reason we're supposed to praise the Lord is because of what he's given me? Because of what he's done for me? Because he does amazing things for me? Is that the reason that we should praise the Lord? In Genesis 29, 35, it said that she conceived again. This is talking about uh, uh, Rachel, if I remember right. And when she gave birth to a son, she didn't say this after her girls. But when she had had a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. That's kind of rude, isn't it? But at least she praised the Lord when she had the son. Did your moms all praise the Lord, boys, when you were born? Yeah, I think mine, I don't know what mine did, but anyway. Um, in Exodus 18.10, it says, uh, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. So we have in Genesis 29, praising the Lord for a son. And in Exodus 10, 18, 10, praising the Lord because you've been rescued from the hands of the Egyptians and a Pharaoh. In Deuteronomy 8.10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So we praise the Lord for the land and the crops, the harvest, and of course, the abundance of food on our tables. And in Psalm 148.14, it said, praise the Lord. Remember, this is my favorite chapter for he has raised up for his people a horn, which is a leader, and and the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. So in other words, the horn is our Messiah, Jesus, our Redeemer, who died on the cross for us. So in 148.14, praise the Lord because he sent Jesus to the cross for you. So maybe that's what it's talking about, is that we need to praise the Lord simply because of what God has done for us. And I would say he definitely deserves it because he's done a whole lot for you that you don't deserve. You may not realize it. But regardless of who your spouse is and what they do and what they don't do, it's still a gift. You don't deserve that person. The children that you have that disobey you, that talk back to you, that that just won't do their chores, and when they do it, they do it half-heartedly, That's not how my dad would say it, but but half-heartedly we'll go for it in the church. Um, There's still a gift that you don't deserve. When you do a paper at school and you get a a D on it, you don't deserve that D. You know you didn't. It was grace. Everything in this world, when you get pulled over by the police and they don't give you a ticket, you know that's grace. But did you know that even the ticket is grace? It's all good. I'm not calling out names or nothing. I'm not saying... Little birds, you know, they, they talk, but uh, no, nothing. Anyway, so is that it? But that can't be right. Because implicitly what that means is this that if we praise God because of what he does for us and what he gives to us, then naturally we would say when things don't go the, well, the way I wanted, When I don't get the things I want, when my life is falling apart at those times, I don't need to praise the Lord. But that's a fallacy. We are to praise the Lord in complete, total disregard to the things that we have or don't have. So how do we make sense of this? Maybe we should praise him simply because of who he is. Interesting thought. In Psalm 717, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord most high. In Psalm 106.1, it says, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. That's a good reason to praise him. Uh, In Psalm 146.2, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live just because of who he is, just because of what he represents, what he stands for. And our God is sure, certain, surely and certainly capable of receiving that type of praise, and we're certainly capable of giving it to him. But what I really want to talk to you about today was this passage out of Acts 16. All of this fits into this. This is all background material into this little text. But the story in Acts 16 is a little bit longer than what Ruthie read for us. I didn't want to wear her out. But the story goes something like this, that Paul and Silas were on on their way to church. They do this regularly. That's what Christian people do. They go to church, right? And as they were going to church, there was this servant girl in the community that that was possessed by a spirit, a spirit of divination. In other words, this girl had this spirit in her that enabled her to tell your fortune, to predict your future. And, and so she was really good at it and she made a whole lot of money at it, not for herself but for the people who, uh, who she worked for. Very, very interesting situation. You know, if you think about it, we have people like this in our world today and this is probably what you don't realize, that a lot of these soothsayers, these fortune tellers are fake. Did you know that? Yeah, a lot of them are fake. In that case, uh, they're there to just pull your leg and, and take your money for it. But you may not understand this. Some of them are legit. But the ones who are legit do not get their power or their ability from the Holy Spirit, like they may say. They don't get it from God. They get it from demonic spirits. And those are the ones who are very good at what they do. And this particular girl had that spirit, and people were making a whole lot of money off of her. But she was kind of annoying in the fact that she would follow them to church, and she kept yelling out every, to everybody who will hear that these two gentlemen work for the most high God, not any other pagan God or Greek God, but the most high God, the one who is above all gods. And what they're telling people is how to be saved. She basically is confirming them, affirming them. And, and saying to all the people, these guys know what they're doing. They work for the, the ultimate God. But don't listen to them, right? But anyway, she kept doing this for several days, it says. And, and finally, Paul got so irritated with it. He got so irritated that he rebuked the spirit and cast the demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately that spirit fled. But now here she is without a job. And here her owners are without income. So naturally they got a little irritated with the gentleman for casting out the demon. Probably not really caring that the, the, this girl that worked for them was possessed by a spirit. They didn't care. They just care about what I, you know, how much am I getting paid from this. But what they did was these men went and complained to the magistrates of the town because these two men were cutting in deeply into their income. And so they 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 actually succeeded in the fact of getting these two men arrested. It says they were stripped and beaten. They had been severely flogged. I re, if I think I remember right, uh, a severe flogging, I think, is thirty-nine lashes, is it not? Because the fortieth one is believed to actually kill the person. I cu- I couldn't find it; the internet wasn't working, so I couldn't validate it. But does that sound right? Thirty-nine lashes. Yeah, Jewish law. And so uh, we can we can assume that maybe that's what Paul and Silas received was thirty-nine lashes to the point of death, but not completing the task. They were beat like like stray dogs in your backyard. They just weren't pleasant, right? They just weren't, it wasn't a good thing. And with that, they were also thrown into prison where they had their uh, hands and ankles shackled. All because they were just preaching the gospel, being faithful. And they were on their way to church, minding nobody's business. But this girl just kept harassing them. But here's where it starts getting interesting in verse 25. It says that it was about midnight and Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So this is crazy stuff. Why, after being half beaten to death and locked up in a a jail cell in the dungeon for things they really didn't do, why are they being penalized like this? And on top of that, why in the world would they praise God? Why would they be praising God? Maybe it was because they didn't get that 40th lash, maybe. And they were still able to breathe. Maybe it's because they had just gotten, you know, some rice with, with roaches in it, and they were hungry, and and that was appetizing. And so thank you, Lord, you know, for those roaches. Good protein, yeah. Maybe it was because... Maybe it was because... They just love the Lord. Or is it possible that there was another reason? Because you see, it says that the other prisoner prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening. So first, we have to back up a little bit. What exactly is praise and what exactly is worship? We hear those terms a lot, but what exactly goes into that? What makes up praise and worship? Yeah, definitely the singing and if you don't have singers, even the music could be construed as praiseworthy uh, events because it helps to move the spirit among us. It helps to, to generate some emotions or feelings in us. It generates some kind of an attitude in us if done correctly. If done incorrectly, it still generates an attitude. But the fact is, music is very important to this, and God has ordained the singing and the playing of music, music. so we know that that's part of it. But also, prayer is part of this process. Prayer is a very important process of worship and praise, and we can go even further. We found in some of the verses I read that proclamation of the gospel is part of worship and part of praise. If you go back just a little bit to Acts chapter 9, an interesting phrase I was just reading the other day. In chapter 9, verse 20, uh, Saul, who had just had his conversion on the road to Damascus, found himself at the home of Ananias where he uh, received his faith and where he was baptized. He received the Holy Spirit. In, in, in verse 19, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. They were scared to death of him because of his reputation. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues. This comes from the Greek word karuso, which means to proclaim Christ dead and resurrected. So this this message of Jesus is what he was proclaiming. Now, you, you might remember that when John... Uh, When the disciples were at the entrance to uh, the the temple of Pan, uh, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do people say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, the spirit revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. The spirit revealed this to you. So his proclamation at the temple of Pan was an act of worship. The spirit was leading him to proclaim Jesus as resurrected. Well, not resurrected, but as the Son of God. And so now we go back up here to to where Paul is proclaiming Christ, and we can see that the Spirit must be working in him because now he is able to proclaim the Christ, the dead, and the resurrected Christ. So this is an act of worship when we have teaching in church and and preaching that should be Spirit-filled proclamation, which is an act of praise and worship. At least it should be. I get tripped up on this, and I'm sure we all do, but giving is also an act, but don't, under, don't misunderstand me. We do not give our tithes to the Lord. We return our tithe to the Lord because it belonged to him before he ever entrusted it to us. So, so giving is really not what we're looking for, but returning. We return ourselves to the Lord, right? We talked about that. We return ourselves to the Lord. We have drifted from God. When we return ourselves, that is an act of worship. When we return our ties to him, that is an act of worship, an act of praise. And then also our response is an act of praise and worship. So that's why it's mind-boggling to many of us in ministry when we stand and we sing our, our praises, our hymns of praise, whatever form that hymn or praise looks like, and people stand there like they're, like they're bored out of their skulls. And they think to themselves, I wish the music would hurry up and end. I hate this part of worship. Well, I'm sorry, but it's commanded of us. But the the thing that's puzzling is how could so many people be bored with it? I've heard teenagers even say, not in this church, of course. But I've heard teenagers say, if that's what heaven's going to be like with all the praise and worship, that sounds boring. All right, then don't go to heaven because heaven's going to be filled with it. And so it's just mind-boggling that there's so many people that say, I like this part of worship, but not this part. I like this part of praise, but not this part. It doesn't matter. God loves it all, so he asks us, he commands us to give it to him because he's worthy of it. And so we give him the best that we can. But here's here's the part that stands out to me in the story again. The other prisoners were listening. When you stand in church and you sing to the Lord, others are listening. Have you ever been to a church, and I, I, this is probably a hyperbole of some sort, I don't know. Have you ever been to a church that was dead spiritually and listened to them sing? You would, you would think to yourself, who died? Because we're not celebrating a resurrection, it has to be a death. And then you go to some churches that praise and praise and praise, and you're like, what are they so excited about? People are listening to your praise. They're watching your praise. And in this particular case, these two men who had been beaten almost to death, who are handcuffed for stuff that they didn't really do that really wasn't that bad, uh, here they are singing their praises to God, and all of the prisoners are listening. There's a ripple effect. The Holy Spirit's at work in all of them, and if they had never praised, nobody would have ever listened. Maybe, this is just a proposition, maybe their praise and their worship was not for them at all, but for those around them who were just enjoying their worship. Is that possible? Well, let's complicate it even more. Suddenly, an earthquake, a violent earthquake shook the foundations and the prison uh, doors flew open. And everybody's chains came off. All right, maybe it was a miracle, maybe it wasn't. Maybe this kind of stuff happens all the time. But everyone's chains fell off. Now, you know that metaphorically, the chains represent spiritual bondage, right? And so metaphorically, when we're worshiping and praising, and there are people here who do not know the Lord as their Savior yet, that metaphorically, they are in bondage. They're in chains, and our worship has the ability to somehow shake the foundations of their lives so that they can find freedom in Jesus, the same freedom that we already know. That everyone around us could be affected if our worship and praise is truly genuine and effectual. It could do that for other people. Have you ever thought about that? Think about that the next time you're, like, you're standing there worship and worshiping. You're like, you know what? I hate this song. I refuse to sing. Just remember, the scriptures say, how dare anyone to cause one of my young ones to stumble? Better to have a millstone tied around their necks and thrown in a bottomless sea. Don't cause your other ones to stumble just because you didn't feel like worshiping that day. All of the prison doors flew open. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prisoners, he was about to kill himself. But Paul said, nope, don't do it. Don't harm yourself. We're all accounted for. Nobody left. The jailer called for the lights. They rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Even Not only did the prisoners get set free, but the one who put them in bondage is now set free. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. A little prophetic kick on the end which is an interesting play on words considering the whole story started with a girl that was fortune-telling, predicting the future by the aid of an unclean spirit. Now you have Paul predicting the future by the spirit of God himself. Your whole family is going to be saved. And so they went to visit the man's family and they continued to proclaim Jesus, which again is an act of worship. The worship went from the jail cell to the guard's home and it began to spread not only among prisoners but to the guards and to the families of the guards. And the praise and the worship penetrated their hearts to where the whole family was baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come To believe in God. He and his whole family. Crazy stuff. Is it safe to say. That praise and worship. Is a big deal to God. It is a huge deal to God. And it's not because. He is arrogant. And and narcissistic. And he demands. That we give him our attention. He does it. For our benefit. Because there's something unique about worship. When our praises go up, his blessings come down. But also because his, his, our worship and praise of his name has a way of making us complete in our spiritual walk. It's a reciprocity type thing. He praises us like a father does their children, like a grandparent does their grandchildren. He praises us. He brags about us in in the heavenly realm to the other angels, at least the ones who will listen. He has a picture of you on his refrigerator and a picture of your your kindergarten artwork taped uh, uh, on the refrigerator. He loves you so much, and he brags about us. I'm sure he brags about us. And, And so it's an act of reciprocity that we can give it back. And say, God, I don't expect anything in return. I just want to praise you because you deserve it. Because you are my God. You are righteous. You are holy. You are loving. You are just. You are everything to me. So is it also fair to say that our lack of praise, our lack of worship, is in direct correlation to the condition of our heart? Absolutely. What was that last verse I wrote down there? It was on a little post-it note. Remember the one I showed you? I don't know what I did with it. It was a scripture. It was a, I don't know why I was going to skip over it, but let me see if I have it here. There it is. I wasn't going to use it, but let's close with this for a moment. First Chronicles 16, and it says this. Verse 23 to 31, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, he is to be feared above all gods. Fear all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them be among, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing and will sing joy before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. I'm out of breath. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for giving us the ability to breathe your breath back at you in the form of our worship in the form of our praise, in the form of our humility, in the form of our thanksgiving. Father, you are the only name above earth or in earth or under earth that deserves the worship and the praise of your creation. Let all the animals praise your name. Let all the birds of the sky praise your name. Let all the people of this community praise your name. For whether we believe in you or not doesn't matter you deserve our praise. Whether you have uh, delivered us from our sin, or if it's still in the works, we praise your name. Whether we feel as if we are afflicted, or we feel as if we are blessed, you deserve our worship. Lord, come among us and fill this place with your Shekinah glory. Fill this room to capacity as we sing our praise to you. And as we enjoy your living presence among us, may our worship be pleasing to you. And may it be life-changing for us and for those around us who just might be listening. We pray this because of our love to you. In Jesus' name, amen.